Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Genesis 12 through 15. Rabbit Trails Covenants continue today in our reading. As I mentioned yesterday, we will learn a great deal about covenants as we read through the Bible this year. There are two types of covenants, conditional and unilateral. Conditional covenants are ones that require something from both parties. They are conditional. Unilateral are those that hold no conditions or requirements for the other party. Yesterday, we saw Yahweh make a unilateral covenant with all living things and that he will never again destroy the inhabitants of the earth by flood. Nothing was required of us in exchange for that, and the covenant stands forever, which is why we should still be in awe whenever we see a rainbow in the sky. Today, we are seeing another covenant made with Abraham and his descendants. Abraham has to ratify or give formal consent to the covenant at the start by fulfilling what Yahweh required of him, to leave his country, his family, and his father's house, and to follow Yahweh to the land that he would lead him to. This is another one of Yahweh's patterns in that he elects and separates his people from those that would deter or detract them from his purpose. It is very likely that Abraham's family worshipped many gods, and tradition states that his father may have even been a maker of idols. So it would make sense that in order to worship the one true God, leaving this culture of idolatry behind was necessary. However, we do need to try to be careful not to apply human reason to why we should obey Yahweh. He is God. We are not, plain and simple. That's enough. Either way, we will see this electing and separating a lot in Scripture, and we will see warnings of Yahweh to His people not to intermarry or associate with idolaters and such, because a little yeast leavens the whole loaf. In fact, that exact phrase is used a few times in the Bible. We will also see examples where Yahweh's people did not heed His advice, intermarried with tribes that worshipped idols or did not separate themselves from those Yahweh warned them against, and they suffered as a result. Once Abraham performed what was required of him in this covenant, the remainder rested entirely upon Yahweh, so we can be certain that it will be upheld from there. In Yahweh making this covenant, it becomes a law of the universe, an inescapable promise that will come to pass no matter what we do. Our Father is a covenant keeper, and when Yahweh says something will happen, man cannot stop it. In Genesis 12, we see that Yahweh has told Abraham that he will be the father of a nation. However, we have to keep in mind that we know how this story ends, but Abraham doesn't. Abraham is an old man, his wife is advanced past childbearing years, and he is childless. Genesis 12.4 could provide some insight into how Abraham is envisioning this happening when we see he takes his wife and his nephew Lot with him. They reach an impasse, though, when a dispute erupts and they decide to separate. Note where Lot goes. There's a description of his choice of residence in Genesis 13.13, which will come into play later. 
Abraham, however, continues obeying Yahweh in faith, even though he has no apparent heir. Yahweh also included in the covenant, in Genesis 13:15 the promise of a particular land to Abraham and his offspring forever. In Genesis 15, this land is defined, and you can see a map of that land at the following link. Remember, visit my notes on SeekingScripture.com to see all these links and any diagrams I may mention in my notes. As you probably already know, this land includes Israel. This land belongs to the descendants of Abraham. He is the grandfather of the 12 tribes of Israel forever. Regardless of where you stand on Israel, the Bible is clear about where God stands. Special reminder, politics are not a topic of discussion allowed in our group or on any of my platforms. If the Bible don't give us enough to talk about, we got bigger problems than that. Now, here's an interesting fact. Sarah was likely around 75 years old when the Pharaoh found her beauty irresistible. When Abraham told Sarah to tell folks that she was his sister, it wasn't really a lie. She was his half-sister as they shared the same father. See Genesis twenty twelve. Yahweh is a God of patterns. Did you see the beginning of a pattern today in the interaction of Egypt with Yahweh's people? This begins a pattern of conflict between Yahweh's people in Egypt and Yahweh sending out plagues when they lock horns. Now, this go-around, the Pharaoh had sense enough not to cross Yahweh, but in Exodus, we will see a very different reaction. In Genesis thirteen seventeen, when Yahweh tells Abraham to walk the length of his land, this was a legal custom known as Hazakah. Anytime a person took possession of a parcel of land, they had to walk the perimeter of it as a sign of ownership, a way of marking their territory. Some kings even walked the perimeter of their kingdom from time to time for this very reason, a symbolic demonstration for their subjects. A verse that helps us connect the dots. Galatians 3.29 says, If you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I want y'all to think about that while we continue to read through and read the story of Abraham. That's a lot to think on today. Backtracking a bit, there's been a lot of discussion about Genesis 6 and the 120 years lifespan. There's also been discussion about how man could possibly live hundreds of years and whether or not this was an actual number or figurative. I want to address that a bit from my viewpoint and encourage you to test it and discard it if you find it does not prove true. In Genesis 6, verses 1 through 3, we read, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Now, here's a theory that's worth looking into. If we read Genesis 6 in context, the father is speaking about man becoming evil, and he's going to put an end to that evil. This is before the flood took place, and many believe, based on more math than I'm able to do at this point in my day, that the flood took place 120 years after the father made this statement. Definitely something worth digging deeper into. As a result, while the popular thought is that this is limiting man's lifespan, Scripture doesn't back that up in terms of the ages that we are told they lived to after this fact. 
However, that the father was speaking of the coming flood does appear to hold water. Totally intentional pun. Another note regarding ages and caution. I think one of the most surprising things for believers to discover is that a great many Bible scholars do not consider the Bible to be true, but rather they consider it to be a collection of figurative literature. Now, I actually saw a commercial for an online faith-based university this last week where a professor was discussing his Genesis class, and this professor considered Genesis to be figurative literature, not truth. Believers were jazzed as all get out about this class in the comments because that one little detail escaped their notice. And so thousands of believers will sit eagerly and pay to be taught that the Bible is not true and never even realize it. When people who see the Bible this way come upon numbers like people living over 500 years, their logic tells them that this is not possible because they haven't seen it in our time, and so it must be a figurative number or a symbol of something else. As humans, we are always, always, always trying to put Yahweh in a box, condense him down so he fits into a thought that makes sense to us. And so we take miracles and works of the Father and we dismiss them because we can't wrap our little human brains around an infinite and all-powerful God. A lot of people even think the book of Revelation is entirely symbolic and figurative. But if you imagine John living in his time with no knowledge of what our military vehicles or aircrafts or bombs look like today, Then you show him a vision of a great world war in the middle of taking place with these modern machines. He would try to explain it in terms like we see in the book of Revelation. Now, realizing that many scholars do not believe the Bible to be true, I think a lot of believers don't realize that they've been taught to doubt the word of Yahweh by scholars who never believed it was true to begin with. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. All the enemy has to do is plant a tiny seed of doubt. I'm telling you what, this is going to be a journey because we're going to see and learn so much about him and grow closer to him than we ever dreamed possible. And guess what else? Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good, and He is the only source of good. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.